We decided to bring that to a consumer, to a rancher in Texas and say, hey, use it on your ranch. It was a hugely successful program, had some of our highest conversion rates. And that really sort of, as we looked back during COVID said, well, why don't we start thinking about that now in terms of bringing the experience to the consumer? Yeah. I would say the same thing about a dove who was working on the self-esteem of girls, right? There wasn't a consumer angle there. It was about razor sharp focus by the brand that triggered something, some tension that a consumer had. I'm Dave Tabor, and this is the Proco 360 podcast, connecting listeners who love Colorado with stories and lessons of Colorado's world-class entrepreneurs. All my guests believe that Colorado is different, that success feels different here, and that's why Proco 360's tagline is live, work, love, Colorado. Thanks to those of you who make Proco 360 Westward Reader's Choice as best Denver podcast. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Christian Ganny, Managing Director of Match Marketing Group's Boulder Operations. Match has major accounts like Adidas and Healthy Choice and offices across the United States. Boulder is headquarters for its experiential marketing group, something we'll learn much more about from Christian, including how COVID-19 is changing what was the notion of experiential marketing. This topic is incredibly timely, as at this very moment, Christian is leading the company and its clients through a complete reinvention of their approach to reaching customers. He's got examples to share, and I'll even put him on the spot for more. So, Christian, with that intro, thanks for joining me via Zoom on Proco 360. Dave, it's my pleasure. Can't wait to be put to the test. Thanks so much for having me. Well, let's jump right in with a super easy softball, which is tell us a quick bit about Match Marketing Group. You know, I think what differentiates, especially the experiential arm of Match, is that when we think about um, how ideas are going to move people to change something in their life. Uh, So, if you were to say, well, what does that really mean in in sort of uh, as an example. Well, you know, typically we face this conundrum as marketers where we're motivating consumers to make a change, whether that's a change in purchase or whether it's a change in their behavior or even a change in how they feel about a particular brand, but there's an exchange there, right? And for us, what we really like to do is look at what inspires individuals. And when you get to that sort of really gritty truth about what inspires an individual to make that potential change, then all of a sudden your ideas take on a completely different and new shape. And uh, they have more depth, they tend to have more meaning, and they tend to be a little bit more beneficial. The challenge for us is always, how do you get a client on board with that level of thinking, which is less about a transactional behavior and more about sort of an institutional change, if you will, in how a consumer thinks. Well, and Today, as busy as we are, incremental change is just really not motivating to customers. I don't care if you can save me 10%. It's not worth the time. It's not. Almost yeah. no matter what. And so I think this is an interesting avenue that you've approached. I mean, is to inspire change. You really have to create a, a scenario in which a consumer has a lot, I mean, a real lot to gain to otherwise break through this cluttered world. I mean, one of the pieces that we, I, I find myself repeating in front of clients relentlessly, it's, it's, it's well known, but less appreciated, is that um, today consumers are more prepared, more savvy, and, and, and probably more educated than they've ever been because of the wealth of information we have online, because of how we can hear about it from our friends, and our physical experiences teach us all of this information that was otherwise not really known. 
And so if you create an experiential campaign that is purely based on driving a sales transaction or some kind of very business-oriented transaction, then I think you're going about it just the, the wrong way. Um, because while it does ultimately facilitate those types of, of change, there are benefits that rank at four, five, and six places higher um, on the hierarchy of why you would why you would invest in experiential. So for me, um, you know, we 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 talk about how savvy consumers are and that there's a social contract between a brand and a consumer. And if I'm gonna, you know, walk over to wherever you are at an experience and take 10 or 15 minutes out of my weekend with my kids or with my wife, there better be a return on that exchange in some capacity. And I don't mean 10% off. I mean, there better be some inspirational change that occurs. I've learned something. I've been motivated to think about things differently. That's that's really where the meat is. Yeah. Okay. So connect the dots. Let's go through a couple of examples that really illustrate that, I think, in a way that you think is effective. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about examples of, of experiential? Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, it's, it's really important to identify that good experiential in practice starts with authentic human connection. And what I mean by that is that feeling when you arrive somewhere, the hair on your neck sensation that you're after as a marketer. You know, the best way for me to uh, describe this to you is the first time I ever went to a baseball game in Toronto where I walked into the stadium and you could see the greenness of the grass that's offset by the dirt. And there's just no replacing that moment that sticks in your memory. So it starts with that human connection. And, um, you know, for me, some really good examples most recently that I've seen, um, the brand Levi's executed something called the Levi House Miami. Um, Every year, uh, the uh, design aficionados descend upon Miami uh, for Art Basel, which is this design-oriented conference. I'm not sure if you've heard of or not in, in Miami. Nope. But, but Levi's is not really known as a design-forward brand. And what they did is they showed up in a completely new way and really spoke to a design-focused intelligentsia that were in Miami. Uh, they brought Winnie Harlow, who is a, a model, as their ambassador. They allowed consumers to go through the experience and customize their Levi's product in ways that you couldn't do any other way. So it had this like sense of occasion and differentiation for, for Levi's that really sort of started to shed new light. I mean, Levi's is known as a very sort of meat and potatoes American brand, not as a design forward fashion um, sort of uh, focused brand. And I thought that was really a good one. All right. I want to come back to that one in a minute. What's another example? Five years ago, the motorcycle industry Uh, was fraught with shiny toy object with lots of chrome and polish and an iPad that said, hey, insert your data here. We'll we'll have a drawing for for the motorcycle. And that was what, you know, the Geico's and the state farms and the farm bureaus did because it was effective. It was a data capture mechanism and they had a shiny bike built by some great manufacturer uh, and they would raffle it off. And what Progressive did is they said, let's think about ourselves as a utility for our customer base and for new customers. Uh, So what we did is we effectively created a footprint at all of these motorcycle shows and rallies where we offered things like beard trims and um, uh, nail treatments and boot shines and haircuts because we knew that these individuals that came to these motorcycle rallies had spent three, four, five days on their motorcycle, weren't looking their top best when they got there 
And so this became a sought after experience year over year for these, these people that went to these rallies, these bikers. Um, and I think really for us, that really got to the root of who are motorcycle enthusiasts? How do we create a utility for a brand that doesn't even create a product, Dave? I mean, mm-hmm. no one talks about insurance unless you crash your car or yeah. unless your rates are too high. Yeah. Uh, and so it created this whole new level of conversation for the brand. Okay, got two examples. I'm coming back to both of them. I'm going to ask you for a third example, something that you think that you've seen or been involved with that was like maybe the most out-of-box experiential marketing thing you've seen. I mean, I've even heard stories at like South by Southwest where a movie created a, an entire like movie scene with a bar and everything else. Must have spent a million dollars. So what have you seen? Great example, out of the box. It's a little bit, it's a little aged at this point. It's three or four years old now, but Target University uh, was an incredibly well thought out, well executed, multi-tactical experiential campaign where, uh, forgive me if I get some small details wrong here, but effectively Target was looking at how do we increase our back to school for college and university students. And they had an entire setup, uh, I believe somewhere in California, where they had different dorm rooms set up. And each of those dorm rooms were adorned with all of the various products at Target that they could offer. So you had one that was sort of maybe more male focused and athletic, another one that might've been more female focused um, and different, uh, different themes for each of these. And you could physically shop through the digital interface for all of those products, put them in your basket, and immediately go, go to the store and pick them up. And to me, that really connected all of the dots together. It used social media influencers as part of the broadcast message for that. It used the products at Target, and it made it super easy for me, the consumer, to find, shop, and get the, uh, get the products. That's, that's pretty interesting. I'm going to come back to all three examples. First, I want to remind listeners, this is Proco 360, named Best Denver Podcast, three years running. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Christian Ganni, Managing Director of Match Marketing Group. And first, I want to make sure before we go back that I thank our great sponsors, Community Banks of Colorado, the law firm of Holland and Hart, Kinsley Meetings, MicroStar Keg Logistics, and Total Coaching Systems. These great companies support Colorado businesses and entrepreneurs, and they support this show. Also, thanks to the Colorado Chamber of Commerce for its support for me and Proco 360. All right, so you've given us, uh, Christian, three really good examples. And the, to me, they're a little different. The first two, uh, Levi's and Progressive Chop Shop, were both physical things where people would come, uh, customers would come physically. The example you gave at Target University was a digital experience. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, it had digital and physical components to it the It was target both. Exam. All right. It was. So, yeah. so one of the things I've always wondered about, and I want to really dive into this experiential marketing bit. Um, one of the things I've always wondered about experiential marketing is that they almost seem to be designed as like spectacles, you know, and I wonder how much ego and hype is happening versus truly effective marketing and sales. And I see you smiling through Zoom. Yeah. So what do you think? Well, I mean, I think what you're hitting on is something that experiential for a long time has gotten a pass at, which is analytics and measurement. And uh, because you, you, to me, just sounded like a lot of our clients saying, you know, I can invest in more traditional tactics like digital advertising or television. Um, and I, there's a bevy of metrics from all sorts of providers that can tell me how many eyeballs or how effective that was. 
for experiential, and especially as you talk about spectacles, there are elements that blur the lines between tactics, right? You've got the live experience, which has a throughput of live of individuals uh, that go through it, if you will. Then you've got maybe a social component where there's a sharing element that gets shared through social, which is another tracking and, and, and measurement uh, function. And then you've got sort of perhaps maybe even a PR angle where you're doing this for a particular reason to generate PR and earned media. Um, and I know you didn't ask for an example here, but one that comes to mind that I uh, typically refer to as a combination of all of these, there was this campaign on TNT, uh, the television uh, channel called Push to Add Drama, where they put a red button in the middle of a square and they had all of these actors and actresses around that as soon as you pressed the button, you know, a spectacle ensued. It was a storyline of some sort and obviously surprised the individual on site, but it became a viral sensation because many people thought of how unique the idea was. They thought about how unique it was, but they also wanted to share that to their network of friends. And so spectacles are great. They do serve a purpose, but for clients that are interested in absolute measurement rigor, they don't necessarily tend to be as firm or as concrete in terms yeah. of business results and return on investment as other tactics. So like I think about the Levi's house that you mentioned, and they went to a show specifically, they built a house to create, basically to change the established perception of their brand as being you know, something that was originally created for minors to now being a fashion leading brand. So how many people do you have to touch to change a perception. And so is it now, is, is the price point $10,000 per influencer, $100,000 per, I mean, how do you, do you think about that stuff? Well, uh, your, the answer to your question of 10 to 100 is yes. It's always there um, because you can find influencers at all different kinds of levels. But yeah, we're forced to think about those things. And frankly, it's a part of a return on investment story that we've got to try and create, right? So yes, Levi's spent, I'm sure, I don't have the details, obviously, uh, they spent a lot of money and likely the return on investment isn't necessarily in a spreadsheet, right? It's in the minds of those individuals that went through it, number one. Number two, it's in the content that was generated as a part of that, either through their influencer network or through the trade publications. And then third, it also has a sense of maybe being a little bit more mission oriented for Levi's moving forward, right? There's yeah. a huge investment that they're making that doesn't necessarily equate to these hundred people went through, it cost me a thousand thousand dollars a head. Therefore I won't do it because what is the likelihood that Christian who went through Levi's house, Miami is going to go spend a thousand dollars on denim. Right. It's not likely. And I have researched the cost per head analysis till I, till I'm blue in the face, Dave. And it's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's fool's gold to start measuring experiential when you get down to a cost per head. Basis. Yeah. And that's, and not only that, but it also seems to me that you got to do it more than once. I mean, you got to take a leap of faith that's sustained because if, if Levi's house does it once, that's kind of fun. But if they do it for three years in a row or four years in a row, then people believe them. The well, first time it's just like, you know, or is it an artificial thing? Yeah. I mean, what you're, what you're reminding me of is, is, is the chop shop example and not to boast about it, but to be honest, when progressive started this journey, there were a lot of unknowns. Um, there were a lot of creative risks that were taken during that exercise. It ju even just from the colors of the branding from blue and white to black, 
which is a huge departure. And when they started it, they were fourth in insurance. And over, over time, as I mentioned, these bikers sought out this experience and they earned that trust between progressive and the mm-hmm. consumer. And, yeah. uh, and now they're number one in motorcycle insurance. So to them, it, it shows yeah. that that cascade over a duration of time uh, has a real impact on their business. Yeah. So I've got a bunch more questions about this, but I want to make sure we have time to talk about what you and I have been talking about the last couple of weeks separately. And that has to do with the impact that COVID-19 has had. Uh, I mean, it's been hard. It's been difficult. And it certainly, when it comes to experiential marketing, has changed the game entirely. And you've been at the front of this and you're really excited about some of the adaptation that you've been under, uh, you know, has been underway. So talk about that. Yeah, it's like equal parts uh, excited and uh, and probably some nervous anxiety and some trepidation all in there, which which is often the good recipe for a great idea, quite honestly, when in, in our business. But yeah, COVID's had a real impact. The way I like to describe it is that scene in Thelma and Louise where they drive over the cliff. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what revenue has done over the course of the past two months. And it's expected, right? I mean, uh, those people who've invested with us in partnership events or even their own events, which congregate individuals in a live environment, have been banned, if not um, sort of slowly coming back, but very much banned across the country. And I think the two things that we've really been focused the most on, Dave, is one, scenario planning. And that has been just consistent with all of our clients where we start, you know, we think about what happens when events return, how would we show up if and when they do from a sanitization standpoint, um, or what if we didn't? What if we used those assets that we've already created for some social good? And we've done a lot of thinking with Adidas in particular because we do about 80 events a year with Adidas and they've got you know, different size sets and infrastructure for all of the different campaigns we work with within their business units. Um, and we started hitting them maybe two weeks after COVID with, hey, if we've got these assets, let's put them to use in market by you know, delivering hot eats or meals to hospital workers or first responders or supporting local artists uh, with digitizing their art walks or first Fridays, which are really important to their success, right? So, um, so that's one bit. The second bit actually, to me, is a little more interesting in that it forced us to look backwards um, and flip the experiential model where typically you create an experience and we either invite or consumers find out about this experience and they come to that experience. In this case, we said, well, what if we just flipped it? I mean, we've gotten so used to, with the click of a mouse button, um, being able to get laundry detergent to a sofa to even a car in our driveway in two days, right? It's the Amazon effect, as I like to call it. But um, as I said, looking backwards, about two years ago, we piloted a campaign for Bombardier Recreational Products. They sell uh, a number of different um, outdoor vehicles, one of which is uh, an ATV. And we decided to bring that to a consumer, to a rancher in Texas and say, hey, use it on your ranch. It was a hugely successful program, had some of our highest conversion rates. And that really sort of, as we looked back during COVID said, well, why don't we start thinking about that now in terms of bringing the experience to the consumer? And we've spent the better part of the last, I'll say eight weeks now, proactively and even in response to some client requests delivering those examples of what that would look like for their brands. So talk about a couple more examples. Um, one is uh, with a bread company called Dave's Killer Bread. Uh, they're based in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, great product. Yeah, awesome product, great brand, all about second chance employment, um, you know, huge, 
huge fan base. Uh, they call themselves breadheads, uh, I, I believe unofficially. Um, but, you know, we had a campaign where we were going to go, you know, on a national uh, sampling program, which of course we can't do now. We can't go to the food festivals. We can't go to the taste of, you know, insert city here uh, and sample the product. And so what we're doing is developing a campaign for them where we're delivering the product to the actual consumer. We're packaging up a, a new product line for them um, and along with a little bit of an experience for them to do at home in their garden. And we're saying, hey, thanks for being a breadhead. Try this new product. And are, these that's just, current, are these current customers? There'll be a mixture of probably current and new. And that's where the data bit comes in, Dave, where we try and find yeah. consumers that yeah. are highly likely to like the product. Yeah, because each, I would think each, each product, each box or whatever you send out, it's got to be a $20, $25 price point by the time you're done with everything you're doing. Did, so, you do our, did you do our budget for us, Dave? I can't believe how accurate this is. I mean, yes, give or take. It depends yeah. on what the experience is. Yes, right. so it'll have a higher cost of entry. Yeah, so, you know, I get, I, when you talk to your customer, your client, and you say, yeah, we're going to be sending $20, $25 packages out to strangers. And by the way, we're sending thousands of them. Uh, write us a check. I mean, how does that conversation go? compared to, you know, food tasting or, by the way, I should even ask you first question, how does the price for each customer touch compare to what you had been doing? Uh, in this, in that specific example, and in most examples where we bring the experience to the consumer, the cost of entry per individual is higher. Yeah. So let's say it's twice as high. Sure. How do you, you know, how do you then talk about that with your, with, with your brand? And I guess maybe that's the only choice they have right now is if they want to get out there. I mean, they can buy TV and whatever the heck that does anymore, or yep. they can actually get their product in the hands of customers. I suppose that's more interesting, at least to me. Yeah. I mean, I think it's about opportunity cost here. If I've got a new product launching and we have a lot of clients that have, you know, they go into this period of the year where they're, for, they're, they're launching products. These have been worked on for, you know, months, if not years. And now there's this big reveal moment. They've got production capacity ready mm -hmm. to go. Mm -hmm. They've got to get trial in the hands of a consumer. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so what we hope to do in that particular example is to share it with those that are highly likely or already purchasing that brand. You can tell by demographics. You can, can you even buy data from grocery? You know, grocery stores won't let you have the data of who bought what product, will they? Uh, Dave, data is, there's a plethora of different data sources that we would use in that capacity. And, and the answer can to your match, question is actually yes. You can match pretty well. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I mean, the better example would be to think about it for a higher dollar purchase, like an automobile, right? Yeah. When you think about, you know, is Dave a current driver of a BMW whose lease is expiring in four or five months, That's that, date, that date is readily available and yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes all the sense in the world to execute, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, let me uh, remind listeners, I'm your host, Dave Tabor. This is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Christian Ganny, Managing Director of Match Marketing Group. Go to Proco360.com to subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. Please don't forget to rate Proco360 in your app when you've finished this episode. So, Christian, let's. Um, you've mentioned products at two extremes, sort of a low-end product, a $5 loaf of bread, and a car. So, what if, um, let's think of some more examples that maybe you could think about flipping experiential marketing by bringing the brand to the customer. If you were, for example, got a few examples for you. If you were, say, manufacturing a niche sporting good focused on selling through specialty retailers, as an example, um, 
is that the same thing as Dave's Bread? Are you just sending product to, to likely customers? Uh, it's not quite exactly the same. I mean, right now, if you're selling to specialty retailers, especially brick and mortar, they're not open right now. So your biggest challenge right now is reaching the consumer. Right. And, you know, that's going to be the hardest part. To me, I'd create an experience where if I go back to what we were talking about early on, where you're inspiring that individual to use those products in their native or planned environment. So if you were, you know, a running gear, you know, what's to stop a, an Adidas or a Nike or even a specialty shoe manufacturer like a Hoka maybe, uh, who does a lot of the triathlete supports. Um, what's, what's, what's the challenge for them other than just dedicating some trial units to send to Dave to have him go run and use for a week. And you know what, Dave, if you like them, you can keep them. They're your size. They're your fit. They're all yours. Or you can send them back. It's sort of the, for lack of a better way to say it, the Warby Parker model where they send you the glasses, you try them. And then if you like them, you keep them. If you don't, you send them back. And I mean, to me, that's ideal. And, and data plays a fundamental role for that niche manufacturer. Does that, in, in that model, would the, would the company say, all we ask in return is that you post what you think about them, you know, and, or, okay, I'm look. listeners can't see, but I'm looking and, <laughs> and Christian's kind of like moving his head back and forth, looking up, wondering. So what's, how does that well, work? Yeah. What you're hoping for is a couple things. One is these days there aren't enough brands that are reaching out direct to consumer from a trial perspective, right? I can order a pair of shoes on adidas.com. They can be here in five days and I can keep them, but I can't go out and run around the block in them and then send them back. That's right. I can't use fishing gear, you know, cut it up on, on our lovely Colorado mountains in terms of the riverbeds and then send it back. Can I? And so it presents a real opportunity for consumers or for, sorry, for brands to create these alternative revenue streams of direct to consumer. I mean, mm. think about it in that capacity. Now you're not only selling through these niche uh, sporting goods stores, you're actually creating a path directly for your, your brand to sell directly. Yeah, to but consumer. it's so hard to cut through the noise. If all you're doing is now, instead of selling through a retailer, you're selling direct to consumer. Now you've gone from a leveraged point of purchase, point of access for a consumer to something that's just even noisier in the marketplace, unless maybe you're cutting through the noise by giving stuff away, by seeding the market. And that's expensive. Uh, it is expensive, but you know, my, my, our belief and at our core is that when you create experience for consumers that are unexpected, they're going to have that effect. That's why I was shaking my head when you were talking about, you know, Hey, we only ask that you post this on social. Any company that says, in exchange for what you're getting, please go share that socially, to me, just feels really forced. Hmm. I'd rather they go experience running in those shoes around the block for a week and then say, I can't believe what this brand just did for me. They sent me a pair of shoes, perfect size. I ran and used them. And you know what? I didn't buy them. I didn't keep them. But what a tremendous experience. They knew I was a runner. They mm -hmm. fed into my sense of yeah. exploration and, and, and personality. And then, you know what, next time I'm in the, in, in, in the framework of, of shopping, I might yeah. consider them, right? And so there's value with that. So, you know, what's, what's intriguing to me as I was preparing for our conversation is that you work with big brands, Adidas, a bunch of other big brands. Yep. And what you're describing is really what was written about 20 years ago in this guerrilla marketing sort of stuff, <laughs> you know? And, and I suppose exactly what you're talking about is what you could do if you got a little chocolate shop or you got a little coffee roaster, or you, you know, whatever. It's just a question of scale and having the money to be able to do it, I suppose. Well, I mean, I, I, I like to talk to our clients a little bit more about quality versus quantity. 
um, and that comes into that cost per head conversation we were having before. I, I actually think there's a nimbleness to some small businesses where there's not a lot of bureaucracy, there's not a lot of red tape to get through. I mean, look, getting an idea through from initiation of, of sort of the concept all the way through to execution at a big company like a Ford or an Adidas, man, that takes, <laughs> that takes an army. Yeah. Um, but when you're talking about a niche sporting good manufacturer in Denver, Colorado, look, you can afford to take a couple of risks here or there. You have to just make sure that the quality of the execution and the targeting methodology is spot on so that the return on investment is realized. That's all. But, yeah. Question for you. I'm a big fan of the book, uh, Building a Story Brand, yeah. where the whole premise is that the customer is the hero and the brand is the guide. As you look at doing experiential marketing, to me, it seems all about making the brand the hero and the customer sort of the invited to participate. Are they at odds with one another? Ah, it's a really good question. Um, I, I don't think they're at odds. Um, I think there's a certain clarity of message that is sought after uh, by today's consumers for reasons you might imagine, right? And so noise was a big part of that book. I've read that book and there was, you know, about being supremely focused on your message. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think consumerism played into REI's campaign of opt outside. Do you? It was really more inviting you to just go enjoy our products outside. Yeah. I would say the same thing about a dove who was working on the self-esteem of girls, right? There wasn't a consumer angle there. It was about razor sharp focus by the brand that triggered something, some tension that a consumer had. Um, and I think there's a few more examples there that I could give you where it's just not being, um, it, it's about being true to yourself as a brand and being crystal clear with your message. Yeah. Uh, when you think about the challenge that you have now what, and what seems to be exciting you about the challenge of creating new innovative ways to take products to consumers versus bringing consumers to them, to the products, do you think this is temporary or do you think, you know, when the COVID-19 thing is over, we're just going to go back to the way it was? I'm not looking at it as a temporary uh, piece. There is a, a larger subset. Uh, it's, it seems an increasing subset of individuals uh, that are looking for the most convenient way to experience a product. And you see this in the rise of these direct to consumer brands, Dave, the Caspers, yeah. the Warby Parkers, yep. they're just exploding. And there's even these, this rise of the, the micro ones that are called like Insta brands. They just live on Instagram. They'll send you these products directly. They've got a DTC channel and it almost makes it feel like a DIY brand over the weekend just pops up and sends you their products. And I, I think that that's just going to continue to grow as we innovate from a technology standpoint and are able to get yeah. products to consumers more quickly. So I'm not looking at it as a short-term pivot and more yeah. as an alternative way for brands to think about how they can use experience, experience not yeah. just experiential, but experience as a, as a bigger piece. That's so interesting though. I mean, I would almost think that with all of the startup direct to consumer kinds of things um, that brands popping up, as you pointed out uh, over a weekend, that those are each one of those, like a little sliver, a little jab to the big brand that used to have that customer for whatever that dollar was. And I wonder if that just means that the big brands in order to be effective are going to have to get, get more extravagant to, to just uh, get the attention away from the millions of little guys jabbing at them. What do yeah, you think? What, 
you're always going to have the Pepsi halftime show, right? You're always yeah. going to have these big moments that these big brands can afford. Yeah. yeah. But you're also going to see, which is really interesting is in the Pepsi realm, just last week, they launched a direct-to-consumer website called snacks.com. And so when you think about what we're doing from a direct-to-consumer standpoint, look, mm. there's King Supers or Safeway. I could, I could click list the heck out of Pepsi products and have them mm. delivered to my door if I wanted to. But now Pepsi's actually thinking a little bit more innovatively, right? And they're saying, actually, I want to do that myself. I want to target gamers or I want to target those high school students or college students that are in their dorm, go right to a website, plug in your products, and then get those products sent to, directly to you. Wow. Now, so that's, that's almost the inverse of what we were just talking about, about yeah. a small niche brand acting like a big one. This is the, the, the exact the big opposite. one acting like a little, yeah. that's, that's pretty interesting. And I wonder, yeah, I can see where, you know, the, the beer industry is going at it, you know, the same kind of challenges, you know, big just isn't, it's just not cutting anymore. They've got to figure out how to, how do we reach the micro markets? And uh, that's an interesting challenge for you, but and I would what, think it opens the doors to a lot of fun. Well, it, it, it does open the door. And I would say also another, another market or category that's really facing some challenges right now is the beverage alcohol industry because they rely, they spend, Dave, hundreds of millions of dollars a year um, sampling their products at bars and restaurants and events. And they know that when they reduce the spending for sampling at these bars, their sales go down, but they don't know why. And so now with bars and restaurants closed and events yeah. not taking place, they need new ways to get their products in front of consumers within the regulations that states have with sampling alcohol. So it's a huge challenge, but you know, one of my favorite sayings that I get made fun of relentlessly is innovate or die. And that really holds true today. Whether you're a Pepsi with snacks.com or whether you're a small niche sporting goods manufacturer, you got it, or even an agency, quite frankly, you better innovate or you're going to get left on the side of the road. Yeah. Wow. Um, I always end, I always end the show with the question about Colorado and match marketing has a well-established presence in Colorado. You know, you're serving national brands from Colorado, but come on, Colorado is never really perceived as a, as a hub for advertising, right? So, but how has match Colorado been perceived by its clients and, and what do you hear? Well, I, I, I take issue with match, not, or match Boulder, not, or Boulder in that sense, not being, uh, sort of an advertising mecca. There's a huge creative uh, aptitude here in Denver and Boulder with Crispin Porter Bogusky being here for a long time, along with a number of different agencies. And I think our perception is, it goes a couple of ways. One is we certainly enjoy, enjoy all of the outdoor recreation that Colorado provides. So if, you know, there are brands that uh, are attaching themselves to the outdoor industry or supporting the outdoor industry or, or want to participate in the outdoor industry, they come to us and our credentials are basically just our, our Facebook pictures from the weekend, <laughs> riding bikes and camping and hiking. And then there's others where, you know, we're sort of a little bit, we have our blinders off. Um, you know, we don't live or work in Detroit, so we don't think about automotive and, and, and automotive marketing in the same way, or we don't think about you know, it, fashion brands in New York in the same way, but we're able to work on them from just a different perspective. And so I think that's what Colorado provides. Uh, it also, back when we were flying on planes, provides pretty quick access to the East and West Coast. It's like three hours one way, two hours the other. But uh, uh, obviously with uh, the proliferation of Zoom and, and online meetings, I'm looking forward to not getting on a plane anytime soon. Well, and, and you were telling me before we got started that you're a gearhead, you love to drive cars, you love to race cars. Are you doing that in Colorado now? 
We, I, I've done that in Colorado for the past uh, six, seven years now. Um, they, uh, the season starts next month. So I am looking forward to it, looking forward to camping and, and enjoying the bounty that is our, our beautiful state, which uh, I, I came here 10 years ago and, and never looked back and uh, don't plan on ever leaving. All the trees in our, in our yard, we want to see them grow as tall as can be. Ah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's uh, let's wrap up. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and today I'm Proco 360. You've been listening to my conversation with Christian Ganny, Managing Director of Match Marketing Group's experiential marketing arm. Thanks, Christian. That's been a fun conversation. Yeah, Dave, really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for having me. Listeners, thanks for joining me on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast and submitting a review. Thanks again to show sponsors, Community Banks of Colorado, Holland and Hart, Kinsley Meetings, MicroStar Keg Logistics, Total Coaching Systems, and the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. That's the show. Live, work, love Colorado. Colorado.